1: Hello, and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, the podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Uh, more importantly, today I get to speak with Dr. Martin Farek, who is an associate professor at the University of Libarat. Uh, we'll be speaking about a brand new 2022 University of Chicago publication, University of Chicago Press publication um, called India in the Eyes of Europeans. Conceptualization of Religion and Theology and Oriental Studies. Martin, welcome to the podcast.
0: Raj, it's my honor. Thanks for the uh, invitation.
1: My pleasure. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the backstory, of the genesis? How did this project arise for you or this interest?
0: Well, it's a uh, two-lines issue because uh, since my childhood, somehow I got attracted to India which is not so common in, in the uh, back-then communist Czechoslovakia. But I somehow started to look uh, at what is going on. And uh, since my first journey into India, which happened in 1994, I started to realize that uh, in, uh, here in our both scientific and popularizing literature, we got something terribly wrong. Because many of the claims uh, that you typically learn at school, you typically hear in media, documentaries, all that, all that image of India simply got broken for me during the very first journey. And then later on, when I started to do my own research uh, during the doctorate and so on and so forth, other trips to India, uh, that was the beginning. There was a very important... uh, stage, very important part of that, and this is when I met uh, colleagues uh, from Professor Balagangadhar's Comparative Science of Cultures programme, because I found the folk which was uh, very sincere, had similar interests, and also lots of uh, interesting insights. So that that was uh, another important stage, uh, because I saw quite some problems in the, let's say, orientalist discourse, and also in what uh, many of the so-called post-colonial people uh, published. But I was rather groping uh, on the side of solutions to the problems, and then uh, that, that that scientific research done by Professor Walla Gangadhar and others uh, seemed promising. So I decided, oh, let me test some of the main claims.
1: So for some of our listeners, um, this may be evident whether our, whether uh, on behalf of uh, scholarly or lay listeners or everything in between, and for some it might be um, slightly intriguing, uh, problematic, novel. But you know, what is um, uh, what have you found problematic about this caricature? that you're exploring in your research. You know, tell us a bit about the caricature or the, the legacy, um, whether from uh, in terms of um, scholarship or in terms of uh, public reception of quote-unquote India that you're engaging in your work.
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. <laughs> so let me pick up one example. Uh, somehow today people gather... Uh, an impression that there are problems with hinduism right that uh, nevertheless we still have many courses on hinduism and many documentaries and books are published so my first experiences in india uh, really lent me to think about how all these diverse traditions very different people all kinds of ritual how can they put it together as one hindu tradition right and even when you talk to Vaishnavas, you find differences with the fundamental differences with the so-called Shaivas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then, when you go to the level of discussing it from, let's say, scientific point of view, I found two crucial problems that I am discussing in the book, uh, chapter one. Uh, the first problem is that the kind of uh, explanations given. Really do not fit in very well with the reality. Yeah. So, one example everybody learns at school that Vedas are, are the sacred scriptures of the Hindus. There are fundamentals, you no know, Vedas and Upanishads. This is the fundamental. But when you talk to many Indians, yeah, they are the of Veda, maybe. <laughs> That's all. And uh, when, you, when you look uh, at the historical record, the same holds true. You know, Britons, uh, people like Horace Heyman Wilson and many others, the early Orientalists, they started to complain. Look, you Indians, even Brahmins, do not know Vedas properly. How, how so? You know, so th- there is a very uh, strange uh, uh, gap between what is described in the Orientalists' books and what we teach today, still today, and uh, what is really going on in the real world. And that's what science should pick up and somehow try to settle. You now, if we have an explanation and it doesn't fit, well, what shall we do about that? And there is another level. Uh, if you read properly what ha- has been written about the so-called Hinduism, the more I read, the more I got really fascinated because it contains A bunch of contradictions, internal contradictions. So, in in terms of uh, building a good explanation, which theories uh, should do, some people do not like the word theory today, etc. It doesn't matter. But uh, anyway, we try to explain what's really going on in the world, in human society, in different cultures. There, you will find in the Orientalist account, The same people very often say, Look, uh, Hindus, they can believe whatever they want. In fact, Raj, I was quite fascinated because reading it uh, first as a youngster, I started to think, Wow, such a wonderful religion. You know, you can be, they say explicitly, this is a quote, you know, Hindus can be uh, agnostics, Hindus can be atheists. Hindus can be even Marxists. Some are dualists and some are monotheists. And that's it. Some are polytheists. So I I thought, oh my God, such a fascinating religion. You can believe whatever you want or you don't believe in anything you are still in. Now, how is that possible? Where is the contradiction? The contradiction is in the fact that many of the Orientalists, including our own Czech tradition that I settled out to criticize and really look deep in, Uh, they say at the same time, oh, but wait, wait, wait. In fact, there is a core of Hindu beliefs and then they go and define them. And again, uh, another question is how does that relate to reality? And there it doesn't hold very much. But this is fascinating. You know, the same people are saying, look, Hindus, they can believe whatever they want. But at the same time, and then of course, when you look at it properly, how can you put atheist against the monotheist, for example? I mean, I, I, I mean the, the, these are, it's a bunch of uh, terribly contradictory and mutually exclusive worldviews and ideas and all kinds of uh, um, debates involved. It's a huge topic. But suddenly, all is in one uh, plate together. And yeah, that's what Hinduism is. Doesn't matter but the same people in fact still often implicitly insist no 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 there must be a core beliefs in hinduism so that was the second problem i found for example
1: so tell us a bit about you mentioned that um quote you were critiquing your own czech tradition or or context and of course that features heavily in the book say a bit more about that and um I mean, there's so many directions in which we can take this conversation. But um, would you say, um, how do I phrase this? What do you most wish for this work to be a corrective to to a particular ideological movement, to a particular scholarly trend, to a particular uh, public characterization? You know, what would you hope for this work to correct?
0: Wow. <laughs> wow, what I would really love to see is that the book will steer a larger international debate, very serious debate about some of the uh, fundaments of, of the ideas, explanations that are still on the table. These are called, we call them sometimes the dominant view. You now the view that India has been a pagan culture, then Islam came in, and then Christianity came in, and the Hindus copied that all very well. Uh, There is a caste system there for 3,000 years, or goodness for for, for what. Uh, There is all the textbook story, which still, with some debates and some criticism, uh, holds uh, rather firmly on. You you discuss that with colleagues from Japan, the same happens. You discuss that with colleagues from Toronto, the same. You go to Italy, strong Orientalist tradition, the same general learning and teaching about India. So my first hope is that people uh, will say, ah, hold on for a while. What is it that is going on in, uh, in, in the uh, descriptions of India that we, we think are scientific and that they are true also? So that, that oh I know it's a huge and ambitious uh, goal, but uh, I am putting some arguments, quite a lot of evidence I did uh, found. So yeah, I am hoping for a good discussion.
1: Well, the best books I've said this before, I believe the best books are beginnings. More than ah, right. right,
0: right, right. Um, right.
1: um. So what are some of the conceptualizations on behalf quote unquote in the eyes of Europeans that you are engaging, and then. Could you also maybe comment on, when you say in the eyes of Europeans, do you mean in, his, in, in, in an historical context, such as you mentioned in passing H.H. H. Wilson? Um, um, uh, do you mean uh, present-day scholars? You know, which European, in, in which Europeans' eyes, and, and what are some of these uh, conceptualizations um, that serve as lenses to which they view India?
0: Right, uh, well, th- this is uh, the, well, let me start with a bit of explanation to answer properly to your question. Uh, what Professor Balagangadhar and the uh, research program he forged put on the table is uh, in-depth uh, looking into the grounds, to the very base, uh, base of whatever happened in Oriental studies anthropology, history, and many other disciplines, looking at India. Many of them were later on in North America uh, bunched together and they're called uh, South Asian studies today. But when you look properly, they go to the very same roots, And these roots are in Europe. And of course, they were then expanded to North America, other parts of the world. But in terms, I am now talking not so much geographically, but culturally, in, in terms of culture, uh, Professor Balagan is looking into the Christian uh, origins, forgotten, secularized, uh, and very often not understood properly even here in our Western circles. Yeah. But to give an example, uh, we learn still typically that people, early Orientalists like William Jones, and Henry Tamaskola, Broog, you mentioned Wilson and others. Those guys really started the scientific research, right? They, they are typically portrayed as uh, people who uh, honestly digt and quite objectively started to describe India, translated uh, different scriptures like Manavadharma, Shastra, etc. Et well, what I discovered, uh, of course, following some other research, but then going a bit further, is that those people, in fact, operated within a very clearly defined Christian con- uh, framework of ideas, right? Their questions were theological. So, that, you know, that's why theology. Their questions were uh, about the original monotheism. And did, I mean, this is a thing that didn't uh, really stop fascinating me till today how generation after generation of the European intellectuals so Western, because the same interest was imported then to the to the North America and other parts of the world, they searched for original monotheism. They were convinced, based on the biblical story, that God somehow was perceived also outside of Judea, you know, and outside of, uh, of the Mediterranean, let's say, where the original uh, Abrahamic religions, as we call them, sprouted. Out. So... Uh, they were convinced those people had some uh, access to to the revelation, indirect, direct, whatever. And uh, when you look properly at people like William Jones and others, their questions were picked up uh, and then carried on uh, uh, right up till today. So my uh, answer to your question is not about a particular school, because there are many, uh, about a particular group of orientalists or anthropologists or ethnographs, even historians, but o- about a very deep common framework, which originally was really rooted in the strong belief uh, or in the truth of biblical revelation. Right? That, yeah, does that make sense?
1: Uh, yes, it makes sense to me, um, uh, and my hope is that that makes sense to to many of the listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the what is some of the conditioning? what, is some, what are some of the concepts, uh, uh, th- theological or otherwise, that filtered um, this European gaze?
0: Right. Oh, there, there are there are many. Uh, uh, well, I can refer to another example, but because uh, we looked uh, at idolatry. Huh? That's uh, something that uh, today people, even in uh, common parlance, they got it as, uh, yeah, you can sense there is something wrong if you say you are an idolater or something is an idol, right? Still, people get a sense, hey, there is something wrong with that. But many do not go much beyond this. and even. Many Christian believers, to my surprise, are found out to have vague ideas what idolatry precisely means. So that, that you have to go back to Augustine and others, the early church fathers, but it didn't change in, in theologies much since then. Idolatry means you're worshipping to false god or gods. Uh, meaning that instead of saying... Uh, Uh, attention instead of worshiping and obeying the one only true god the creator of the world etc etc as as the ideas have been developed in in judo-christian let's say discourse uh you pay attention to something else and somebody else and typically theologians say it's the object or a being of this world and that's idolatry right even like uh, Worshipping powerful kings, for example, and that, that was typically used. Look, people uh, were respecting very important and very strong and powerful rulers. And then, then since they, they got the idea, these are somehow special beings, and to worship them instead of the true God, that's idolatry, also. Right? And then, uh, looking uh, into the way uh, this world is used and understood, or it's a concept, right, uh, is understood by uh, people in India, you start to realize, ah, it's very difficult, even today. I am now speaking from my own personal experience. It's very difficult for people in India to get the right meaning. Some of them got it because of a deep theological training, but these are very rare exemptions. So I I will give you an example, right? Uh, there was a delegation from a uh, Czech university I helped to co-organize uh, in Amdabad. And we are coming in. Uh, Amdabad colleagues uh, decided, ah, very nice. Let's present for the Czech people something about our culture. Very well. So there is a PowerPoint going on, uh, quite a typical of the sort. Uh, wonderful. But then uh, at one slide, you see a small statue. And puja items, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And the colleague with the beautiful big smile says, Look, the Indians are idolaters. And then watching that situation with all the research that happened, I was literally stunned because I saw, oh, this was 2015, right? 2015. So I say, ah, okay. So uh, in the Czech audience, you saw how they are disturbed and are not quite getting what's going on. Whereas the colleague, obviously, he had an idea that he just says, yeah, we have uh, we have that practice where statues or sometimes pictures are put in, in front, and then we use puja or other kinds of ritual. There. That's all. And then he, he for this is idolatry, which is not. Right? So that's an example. Mm-hmm
1: yeah i mean it's fascinating in that um on on the uh, let's take a uh, maybe a, a bit of a step back and so when we're teaching religion which can be quite a hazardous thing in various contexts ah, right, right. whether right. undergraduate right. or, or continuing studies right, you know right. technical terms such as myth or cult in a technical sense mm. they have deep Pejorative, uh emotional import in 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 a, in a general sense. Uh, myth actually means sort of a, a falsehood or a lie. Cult typically has to do with in 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 a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a in a day in and day out sense. A cult is right. not something you'd want to be associated with. And yet these are tactical terms. And perhaps two words such as for depending on who's using them and in what context, perhaps one can use the term idol as a technical term. And yet. Idol and idolatry are laden with this, this the, the judgment of falsity and blasphemy and right, impropriety and uncivility, and so there's all that baggage. And so clearly, <laughs> clearly, the encounter between uh, the key producers of knowledge about India, <laughs> uh, the first great. Enterprises to produce knowledge about India, clearly, without question, um, that knowledge was filtered through value systems, uh, concepts, comparisons. The idea of Hinduism is very, or any ism, religious wise, is very much um, um, tied to uh, a Western notion of what religion is or how religion functions. Anyhow, enough from me, (laughs) more from you. How is the book structured?
0: Mm. Ah, The uh, uh, first chapter is uh, in fact looking uh, into this question, and this is how I can also explain how it's connected to the Comparative Science of Cultures Research Program. Uh, When you look at the debates today, uh, people Uh, often either look uh, into the, let's say, classical orientalist studies and some anthropology connected with that, or they look uh, into post-colonial criticism. So that's a a typical debate. Now, in in some smaller countries of Europe, like my own own homeland, it took a very different uh, uh, direction in the sense that many people started to tell me very early when I read Edward Said, still as a student in the early 90s. And I thought, oh, there is something in that criticism. So look at other, uh, in in then Ronald and then in other books. And then uh, I started to talk to my teachers back then, very respected, even internationally respected uh, people like Dushan's Bavitel, for example. So they said, okay, I, there is something in it. But look, we, the smaller nations of Central Eastern Europe, we didn't have colonies, you know. So why, why should we uh, take the path of post-colonial studies? I mean, they are, let, let the, the British and the French, and uh, let them, you know, uh, look critically at their own past. But, and in that sense, they quite dismissed the very important points that Said and others raised. I know it sounds a bit funny, but this is really what happened in, in several con- informal in conversations, right? And also, uh, which is partially understandable, at least, uh, they didn't see much in terms of building a positive explanation in post-colonial criticism. Uh, so, all right. And then uh, uh, I decided to took a different step a different course. And I said, well, right, we didn't have colonies, uh, but if there is something uh, in Professor has claim about the shared and common Christian grounds, I will find them also in the Czech, Slovak, Polish and other Orientalist production." And this is what I did. And in fact, the more I digged in, the more I got fascinated how strongly it is present uh, very often, even explicitly, uh, but uh, sometimes implicitly in the debates, the way questions are raised, the kind of questions that are raised, right? So uh, this is discussed in the first chapter, and there I show also how exactly uh, our people followed up the early and later British, especially British orientalists. That's chapter one. Uh, there, there is uh, uh, another turn then uh, to another huge question. And this is uh, about historical consciousness. Uh, it's because I was trained as a historian. You know, my, my master's was, in fact, in comparative history at Charles University in Prague. And uh, this question lurked in some of the debates, how uh, non-Western peoples and cultures really perceived their own past. You properly, You find out that there are just two camps fighting endlessly till today. Uh, one camp says, no, In uh, India didn't have... Uh, historical consciousness proper and another says it it did but that's why i found out it goes much deeper and then i am showing much more importantly that it's still shaped uh, by uh, the and it's constrained by the framework again of the original christian understanding because the way christian historiography dealt or the whole understanding of, of, of humankind and its development in history, how it was dealt in in Christian thought, uh, is fundamental to history today. So th- that's chapter two. Then I turn to uh, to the hot debate about Aryans, uh, and then what, what happened, what didn't happen. This chapter was meant more for the... Uh, Czech and Slovak, let's say, audience or Polish people who could more or less easily read uh, our language. So I gave rather an overview to some important points and comments that I found uh, rather startling in, in all the debate. But I, yeah, I, let it, I left it in the book because some colleagues encouraged me that it will be informative still. Yeah. And then the, the final chapter is uh, on uh, uh, the question how early Bengali reformer Amohan Rai uh, understood the the concept of religion and other uh, connected ideas, uh, or whether he did not. And there is also a a promising heuristics in that chapter uh, that I didn't develop myself, that I cannot claim. That that part was uh, really a follow-up of one uh, conference discussion, uh, and the idea again comes from Professor Balagangadhar and Jakub Ruber, uh, so, yeah. What
1: sources did you look at to write this book?
0: Yeah, many. <laughs> of course, obviously... Well, I mean more, uh, so, uh,
1: uh, many indeed, but what, what sorts of sources?
0: No, yeah, you have uh, both uh, the older uh, production, uh, British uh, Orientalists, but also some German, uh, Czech... But I, I also looked uh, at some theoretical books. Uh, I looked at articles written by historians, anthropologists. So uh, qu- quite, wide, uh, quite widely I threw the net, let's say. Yeah.
1: Was there anything that surprised you while undertaking this research?
0: Hmm. Yes, few things. Uh, the The first first surprising thing was uh, how much of the uh, originally Christian-informed discussions and questions are present in very recent work. Because I knew some of it, but when you dig in, read and reread and think about it uh, and give a lot of time to some material, uh, it became more and more visible to me, the kind of questions I raised. And there were many uh, very clear uh, problems also with uh, the way uh, uh, the original Christian concepts are still used. So, for example, people still talk about uh, sin, although Pab definitely is not sin. From what I could get after years of looking into what Pab would be in Indian traditions, it's not sin. Definitely not. Then uh, people talk about God and angels and heaven and hell and punishment, you know, so many concepts. And th- that's the thing. You start to see not one or two individual concepts, but you, you start to see the clusters of ideas, the whole structure. And I would even say the meta structure of, of, of ideas. And then uh, uh, the surprising thing is how Uh, Some of the authors I looked into, uh, in fact, stated here and there, yeah, there is a problem. You know, these are originally Christian concepts, but then they happily go and use them. (laughs) And sometimes only under the pretext that you can, uh, in some mysterious way, just generalize the concept, which is a funny idea. I mean, they can, from the point of view of philosophy, generalize and then, yeah, okay, why not? Fine. So they knew there are problems, but they still happily uh, happily go with the problematic uh, concepts, questions, and whole structures of explanation. So that that's quite fascinating, isn't it? You see the problem, but you perpetuate the problem. <laughs>
1: uh, hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas, you've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. On the one hand, it's it's a convention,
1: um, uh, perhaps even a scholarly convention. On the other hand, it's so difficult for any of us to think outside, uh, you know, we tend to think of the mind as a shelf onto which, you know, books are placed metaphorically. And yet no. the mind itself, the, the shelf itself was was crafted somehow, it, you know, the, our very ways of seeing and thinking are are a result of our conditioning, primarily our cultural conditioning their individual experiences and it's very difficult to think outside of that paradigm so so i'll i'll, I'll share a, a, a slight uh, an anecdote that might be related so i do a fair bit of life counsel book the people and um, the vast majority of the people i work with are from a, a christian or a jewish background and when they say the word god they particularly mean the 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 Personage of the divine figure in Genesis and Exodus, right? When I work with someone of Indic descent, regardless of their faith, when they say God, I have to dig deeper because they might mean Brahman, they might mean right. Devi, they might be right. Shiva, Hanuman, right. yes. Krishna. Right. And so, yeah. and similarly, when Indians use the word sin, they mean Papa, not sin right. in, a, in a theological exactly. sense. <laughs> so it's utterly fascinating. And, 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 um, with uh conditioning and assumptions uh, about what these these concepts mean one thought that comes to mind is that i feel it's quite wise to use indigenous terms and categories where possible in this context because they force you to think mm-hmm. alongside tradition right darshana
0: right. rather than
1: philosophy right. Right karma, which doesn't, you know, karma in in, in in a classical Upanishadic sense doesn't really have a, a, a Western corollary. Um, uh, papa, they force you, you know, um, looking at, uh, the, you know, I look at um, narrative through this this duet of poverty versus niverty. There's no real, it forces you to think along with tradition, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, of course, uncomfortable. <laughs> um, what would you, who do you think would most benefit from reading this book?
0: Huh. Raj, may I first uh, respond to your thought? Oh, absolutely. It's, a, it's
1: a conversation. Absolutely. Very nice.
0: Yes. Very nice. See, uh, I, in fact, have been utilizing the same strategy you just described. So sometimes I put in the classroom, especially uh, some of the uh, Indian terms, but I do it also to just incite people to say, hey, hey, what do you mean? Really, because when you say darshana to I don't know American, Canadian, Czech, French uh, boys and girls coming out of the secondary school, what they would think about darshana? No, it's like saying uh, blah blah, (laughs) right? The same thing. So yeah, I think uh, there is something in uh, in using it as a tool to point out uh, to much deeper problem, and that is a problem of uh, different conceptual frameworks. Right, so because then we can start uh, a much more interesting discussion, and this is a true challenge. I will end here, but I just point out it's a true challenge to pick up any of the theoretical Indian terms uh, you mentioned. Brahman, there is chitta, there is manas, buddhi, all that. Right, and then then there is a real challenge how to explain that. Uh, uh, in a very interesting and really good way, uh, whether we really start uh, get some proper understanding and whether we can do it in English or other Western languages, right? So that's a- you know, As you're speaking,
1: what comes to mind is I find so much of my work at present, I do a fair bit of teaching in different spaces, and, and, and continuing studies teaching, a number of platforms. Um, so much of what I do perhaps instinctively or unconsciously is translating but not translating words, translating context, translating concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a, oh, where was it? Oh, at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, I was giving a talk um, on, on karma and rebirth. This this radical, profound cornerstone to, to all of the darshanas and really, you know, for the most part, the, the, the current Indic world. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Um, and in addition to, you know, A, explaining the mechanics of it, as per a couple of the darshanas and explaining um, in a common sense way, why anybody would begin to adopt this worldview. One of the things I found myself stressing is it doesn't matter whether you adopt this worldview or not, you won't be able to understand all things Indic (laughs) without adopting it as a lens while you're studying that ecosystem. So it's not a question of adopting a worldview personally, but it seems to me that one needs to adopt the worldview for the sake of study. Think along, alongside a particular worldview. Anyhow, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to solve the world's problems in one podcast, but these are just thoughts that came to mind. <laughs>
0: Ah, Raj. In fact, I'm suggesting we pick up the last uh, uh, ideas of yours uh, for a separate discussion, if you wish.
1: <laughs>
0: sure. Not, necessarily, speak to right, not sure. necessarily a podcast, but as a good discussion, we can have. Sure, that.
1: sure, sure. Yeah. I'll happily perhaps do a talk at your school, or sure, a private discussion, no problem. Um,
0: so shall this I just come is- back to the question: Who will benefit most from?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll circle back to that because it'll. It, well, the reason I ask these questions is so that folks who are listening understand that we're speaking to them, and mm-hmm. you know, this would benefit them. Um, what sorts of readers or subfields might benefit from this work?
0: Well, I will start with a big hope. Uh, I really tried to write it quite clearly, even for, let's say, generate, uh, general educated public. I know that some people will found some parts more difficult. Yeah, that's, uh, that's clear. But my, my hope is that anyone who is really seriously interested in, in the discussion about India today and uh, all the related items will find something interesting there. And then, uh, when you ask in terms of the study fields, then, uh, yeah, uh, definitely Indology people, theologians, Anthropology people, the chapter, one chapter is mainly for historians, I would say, because some others will have to read a bit uh, to start understanding why I put uh, some authors in front and others I didn't mention even is some uh, the the, the general approach of of my book is uh, quite wide uh, uh, sketches and uh, quite uh, uh, big questions that I just opened and of course you cannot handle some of them with a lot of other relevant discussions and other lines that are connected to the research so yeah but that's that's the public Uh, yeah one information is there there uh, the book appeared originally only in Czech Right, So uh, there is some experience and some people uh, who used it uh, kept telling me that it's useful for students. So I hope so.
1: <laughs> it's definitely written in an accessible style, I will say that for sure. It's, right, it, thank it's, you. The style is definitely accessible and organized and a number of uh, numbered points. <laughs> so the reader can follow along. Um, I'd like to ask you a question. well, let me ask you this. i I'm, I'm, I'm curious, is this work that you, is this a line of work that you're continuing in terms of your research campaign, or have you moved on to something else in terms of the next uh, interest or project?
0: well the the, the framework remains. Uh, I am really uh, very much willing to probe and go uh, further with some of the interesting and important questions that Professor Balagan and uh, others raised within the Comparative Science of Cultures uh, research program. And at the moment, uh, we are looking at some issues that are connected uh, with discussion about caste.
1: The the final question I'd like to ask you, um, unless there's anything else you'd like to touch on about the book, and feel free to absolutely, is if I may ask you to indulge in a line of conjecture about the potential parallels or applicability or relevance of this historical work with the moment of history that we're living through in this in these times
0: wow what a question (laughs) forgive me i had apparently
1: i had enough coffee this morning so (laughs) i'll have less next time
0: well i think it's an it's an important question uh, research uh, uh, we have done over the years is telling me more and more about a lot of problems on the side of the West, let's say, uh, uh, in terms of understanding or even starting to understand afresh what really uh, India was about, what it is about, how, how to do things properly, how to discuss even some of the important issues today properly. So uh, in this sense, although, uh, yeah, from one point of view, it's very much a book uh, uh, on the line of history of ideas, and I am developing some criticism. Still, much of what is criticized is the the received view today. And you see politicians acting on that view you see uh, people in the United Nations taking it for granted, Uh, especially this caste debate that we opened up with another book, which was a joint effort published by Palgrave and and more recently republished by Manohar. Uh, It's called uh, Western Foundations of the Caste System, right? So there uh, we started to really show that this kind of uh, seemingly only historical research is very relevant. And when you look at the importance of India today in the international arena. It's definitely a rising power politically, economically, and otherwise. And uh, uh, my hope is that this kind of research will help uh, to really rethink and uh, reconceptualize the ways we engage with each other. And uh, I mean, 21st century uh, didn't start well. I will be now very open about my views on on what's going on. I think that there is a lot of problems and violence, and much of that is rooted in a certain kind of uh, western focus and western policy making. And now, what's going on today and how how we deal uh, with uh, with the problems that rise to, uh, all around the globe uh, in India uh, will be an important player. there is no doubt about that. but when you look, at the way uh, politicians, diplomats, and many others are dealing with India as a culture. And they still follow the same, the received view that I am analyzing in the the book. So I think uh, we hope for a very different kind of a dialogue. And uh, by such research, it should be also a different kind of dialogue uh the, the dialogue that is really symmetrical, you know, like we are we are partner cultures, not that the West is there ruling the show even intellectually, you now ruling the show intellectually and then uh, others more or less just follow. What would I mean, you say to that, Raj? What would you say? To that?
1: Oh, there, there's so much to be said, and of course, it's not. I don't see it as my role to to evaluate or really weigh in too much on the podcast. I'm. It's a space to engage ideas. Certainly, mm. much of what you say is resonant with me. In so far as, mm. um, in so as, our need to collectively co-author systems where there's space for everyone. Uh, Also, in terms of my own scholarship, um, he made the mistake of asking me a question. So here I go. In terms of my own (laughs) scholarship, um, what's been a challenge is that, you know, I'm trained at the Western Academy. I I value the system of knowledge production. This is the institution. I I live in this great nation of Canada. Right, right, right. Right. And so for me personally, different people have different MOs. My Dharma as I see it is innovation, not rejection, is working within oh. a system to create space. And so my scholarship on the Puranas is trying to correct what was begun essentially by H.H. Wilson in 1840, who said really? the Vishnu Purana, Vishnu the rest Purana. of them are the rest of them are useless because they're all corruptions of some imagined previous text and the Shastra's been corrupted by Brahmins. And it's a it's a it's a pardon my French, it's an ass backwards way of looking at the Puranas. That's never how mm-hmm. they were. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, constituted or or probably how they ever functioned and so you know at times i'm critical of historicism or philology as a corrective i I deeply respect those enterprises but i see it as my role to create space to celebrate narrative for literary readings for, for for spiritual exegesis not not to jettison and and forget the past and all that was good that came before, but just Mm -hmm. to expand it, just to enrich it. Not to point out the the pitfalls of of our forebears to, to just critique them ad nauseum. They need to be critiqued without question. And certain people in certain bodies have much more luck critiquing them without being branded as troublemakers in my personal experience anyhow. Nevertheless, they need to be critiqued, but nevertheless, they need to be honored for the work that they've done. And so my view very much is a middle path between the past and the future. In that regard, but enough. No more questions from me, otherwise we'll never finish. Uh, <laughs> feel free to respond if you'd like. Um, and yeah, and I would like else.
0: to. I would like to respond. You raised uh, two things, at least. Uh, I'm hoping that I didn't create the uh, impression of just rejecting. Western Orientalism, etc.
1: No, not for me at all. That wasn't my impression of the book. And also, uh, unfortunately, I'm very good at reading people (laughs) and affect. So that wasn't my impression of your approach at all. Uh, But please feel free to continue that thought.
0: Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, because uh, I think that many of them were really very serious scholars. And in fact, what you can see is that, the, uh, especially the 19th or older 19th century, let's say people, uh, I would find them uh, uh, in terms of science, because you raised the second issue uh, the good that the Western system of research and education really. Uh, brought about in in many centuries of its own development. And I'm trying to utilize, hopefully, the best of that in in the book also, very critically, but also honestly engaging with some problems. Uh, This is is something uh, that I also noticed. Uh, Some of the 19th century people are much more critical to their own work. When you look, uh, for example, at their discussion about caste, uh, you you found out uh, yeah see we have we have many problems you know the, the, this account doesn't hold true and this is just an idea and they themselves warned the reader that this is just a very tentative statement and we don't know maybe we will reject that since sooner or later so some of those scholars were True critical minds, in that sense, very careful, you know, stating things uh, as hypotheses as it should be. These are just theories. Uh, if they if they uh, fell on the face, okay, we will build a better one. Fine. But now, what we see, especially in the, in the after World War II period and in the last two decades, I, I saw some stronger trends in that direction. Is really uh, oh, rather rabid ideology that is spreading even in academia. So with some people it's very difficult to open uh, some debates. I found out that quite startling when you ask about that, you know, the, the startling issue. So that, that that's another thing. So yeah, we, we don't agree with Horace Heyman Wilson, but as you say, we can learn from critical approach, his critical approach itself.
1: Sure, absolutely. And I, I I feel that these figures such as him probably had much more openness to their mm-hmm. ideas being corrected, mm-hmm. but they've been canonized as patron saints of the Purana, oh, et cetera, oh, et cetera, oh, et cetera. Of course. Of course. And so what's difficult is engaging with scholars for whom these are devatas, in a sense, unconsciously. <laughs> and so right, right. ironically, it's, 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 it's an ideological religious impulse, as it were, <laughs> behind the scholarship it's, it's it's, you can take, I can taste it, right? So it's it's palpable to me, but it's difficult to engage. You know, on on a on rare occasion, on rare occasion, um I've gotten someone refuse an invitation to appear on the podcast because they fallaciously thought that by me having some other guest, I was in their camp. <laughs> oh. And so and so they didn't quite grok that uh, my dharma is to showcase the production of knowledge about mm. uh, indian religions mm. um, at this fine uh, conglomeration called new books network whose mission it is as public education and so that attitude itself told me something about the mindset of the individual about certain uh, alcoves within academic enterprise mm. certainly I've been described as user friendly to say the least. I don't oh. critically engage in people's work my My job is to support what they're doing because it's an audience for everyone's work right um and but every once in a while, every once in a while uh uh I, I, two or three times one one individual said to a, someone I was co-editing a paper with uh you know how how could you work with him? He's had those people on his podcast <laughs> <Not to myself. laughs> that doesn't quite work that way Mm. it doesn't quite work that way and uh, there are people capable of conversation and engaging ideas for the sake of ideas and and thank the gods (laughs) otherwise we wouldn't be here
0: um i've taken this this is very unfortunate uh, to know it's been rare it's been extremely rare extremely rare
1: less than two percent of the people i've invited (laughs) have come back with that but the fact that they've said that indicates to me that there right. are factions. There are such factions. And then it's fine. It's fine. Everyone, everyone is entitled to their perspective. Um, I want to thank you for appearing on the podcast today. This was fun.
0: Thank you very much. And my best wishes to your great job. Thank you.
1: Take good care. For those of you listening, we've been speaking with Dr. Martin Farek about a brand new University of Chicago press publication, uh, India in the Eyes of Europeans. Until next time, uh, keep listening, uh, keep reading and keep contemplating the lenses through which we see the world, uh, past and present. Take care.